We're going to be in Ephesians 5, uh, verses, uh, I'm going to read verses 25 through 33 this morning. Um, you know, uh, as, we, as we talk this morning about loving your wife, um, or loving your future wife, uh, if you're here this morning and you're single, then you're going to be married one day. Um, there's a lot to be said uh, in this text, a lot to be learned about, about love in general in our relationships. A lot that can be applied about loving one another. So there's something here I really believe for everybody this morning as we dive into this topic of loving your wife. You know, children in particular kind of have their own unique ways of sharing with you that they love you when they really want you to know they love you. You know, even they understand sometimes words just aren't enough. So my little girl, my little daughter, Eden, who's three, uh, when she really wants you to know she loves you, she doesn't just say, I love you. She says, I love you so, she carries it out. She holds the note, no, so much, right? And when she really wants to put that cherry on top, and she'll say, and you'll always be in my heart, you know? And so, um, I don't know where she got that. She's going to write uh, movie scripts for the Hallmark Channel one day, Christmas specials and things maybe or something. I don't know. But um, even children know um, that sometimes words just don't seem like enough. And when we really want someone to know we love them, we want to do more than say, I love you, because we know words can ring hollow. And as adults, we know that. Love is about more than simply saying it or how you say it. Uh, it's a verb. It's more than a feeling. It involves action. It leads to actually doing. And all of us, every single person in this room this morning, wants to be loved. And that is what makes you a person, okay? It doesn't mean you're high maintenance. It means you're normal, uh, that you want to be loved. And we know being loved is about more than having someone say it to us, although that's nice. We want to experience being loved, not just hearing it. And it should be no surprise to us that in marriage, love is a critical component. To have a healthy marriage, you have to have love. You cannot have a healthy marriage. You can't have any type of relationship that's healthy apart from love. And we don't need a counselor to tell us that, right? And in the Bible, uh, we're going to see this morning that it is the husband who we saw last week. God has designated the husband as the leader, the servant leader, I should say, in the home. He's not to be a demagogue, okay, ruling with brute force like a boss or something. He is a servant leader in the home. He is the point man in the home. He is the one God holds responsible and accountable in the home. He is the initiator in the home. And that includes in the area of love. It is the husband who, is, who initiates this, who's held responsible and accountable for this, and who leads the way. And as he leads, he leads with love. And so we began last week talking about this idea of the husband and the wife and that relational dynamic of headship and submission and what all that means. So if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online. But, but this morning, we're talking about how he stewards that leadership. And he does so, we're going to see this morning, with love. He is called, we are called, to love our wives. And many of our issues in marriage, I'm not saying all of them, but many of them can be healed if a husband will heed and practice the text we have today. And when a husband loves like we will see today in this text, it makes way for a more easy and, and it makes it more natural for a wife to support and follow the servant leadership of the husband. This is the kind of love that changes a home and a marriage. It's the kind of love that changes an environment, changes relationships. God can use it to change your marriage. I really believe that this morning. Today we're going to learn how we are to love our wives, but there is application here for every relationship. Because the, the example we're given this morning is the example for all of our love, how we are to love throughout the Scripture. So look with me in Ephesians 5. We're going to read verses 25 through 33 this morning, though we're going to focus on verses 25 through 30. So look with me for context, verses 25 through 33. 
The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The idea of a husband being commanded to love his wife in the way described here is counter-cultural to the day that Paul wrote it in. In those days, women were treated like second-class citizens. It would not have been the cultural norm for a teacher to look at people and say, you should love your wife selflessly and sacrificially. It just wouldn't have been thought of that way, no more than they would have said you should love your slave that way. Women weren't treated much different than slaves in that day. So Paul is elevating women in this text. He's ele elevating the, the position of a wife in this text. And he, they're not being treated as second-class citizens. In fact, they're husbands are being told they are to prize and to cherish and to put their wives before themselves. We see Paul lay down the most incredible call that could be placed on a man. To love as Christ loved the church. We see Christ as the example. We see Christ as the standard. Now think about that. We're okay with loving someone according to our standards. And I just say, that's easy. If we get to set the limits, if we get to set the qualifications, if we get to set the standard and the bar, we're okay with it because then it's subjective and we are the ones that get to decide what the subjective level of love is. Everybody's okay with doing that. That is how the world loves. That is generally how we love. We just say, well, we determine what that looks like. We determine the definition of it. We determine when to stop. We determine how far that should go. But Paul is laying down a standard here and he's saying the standard is Christ and how he loves the church. But we've all got different subjective levels of what we think love looks like. For instance, some people say, you know, um, I love my children and the way I show it is, I, they might not would verbalize this or maybe they would, I love my kids, I want them to have everything I didn't have growing up. So they love them by giving them stuff, right? That's why my four-year-old has their own iPhone is because I want them to have all the things I didn't have in life. And so I shower them with stuff, and that's my way of showing love. And some people apply that to other relationships as well. See, if love is subjective like that, then all of a sudden it's in the eye of the beholder. We get to determine what it looks like to love somebody. So Paul says, I'm going to give you an objective reality. Here's the standard. Here's the bar. As Christ loved the church. This means, men, that we, if you're here today and you have a wife or you're one day going to, we can think we're loving well and not be. If the scorecard is only simply shaped by our own thoughts and experience and childhood examples, then we can think we're loving well because we love her better than our friend loves his wife or better than a sibling loves their spouse or your dad loved your mom or whatever your example might be or maybe loved, you love her more than you feel like she deserves according to the way she treated you or something like that. If... If the standard's subjective, it's easy, right? But it also means you can be misled into thinking we're loving well and we might not be. 
It's rooted in something outside of us. So that means we can be misled because our internal barometer of all this might be off. We have to constantly be peering at the gospel, constantly be peering at the word of God, constantly be looking at Christ and learning what it looks like to love our spouse. Other men in our lives may be good examples, or they may be bad examples. Only Christ is the perfect example, and he is the supreme example of what it looks like to love in every relationship, and in particular in that of a husband and a wife. So here's the thing. When it comes to loving well, only Jesus is a perfect ten. So let me qualify everything I'm going to say this morning with that. This isn't the beat the husband over the head. I said it was bring your husband to church day. It is not beat your husband over the head day, okay? So everybody just take a big sigh of relief. I'm not here this morning to get out a shovel and throw a bunch of guilt on you this morning. Uh, that is not Paul's intention this morning. Um, this text is not meant to beat us up and beat us down. It is meant to inspire us and to encourage us, to convict us where need be, and to stir us to love as we're called to love. That's what it's meant to do. And none of us are a 10 in this area on a scale of 1 to 10. Only Jesus is a 10 on here. Only Jesus loves perfectly. So ladies, give your husband a break, okay? He might be a 2 or he might be an 8, but he's not a 10. And the goal this morning is for all of us to progress more in Christ's likeness and move up that scale and to love people better and to love our spouses better than we were loving them when we came in here. That's the goal this morning. And so I want you to see two big ideas about what it looks like to love like Christ. Okay? To love, in particular, our wives like Christ. But to love like Christ, two big ideas I want you to get our minds around this morning. It's going to cost you, and it's going to add to them. Okay? Real basic. It will cost you. It will add to them. So number one, it will cost you. This love is selfless and sacrificial. It is self-sacrificial love. He says, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the little phrase. Gave himself up for her. The greatest picture of Christ's love for his people is his death on their behalf. He gave so that we might gain. It cost Christ, right? If you want to know how to love your wife well, we have to look at the cross. It's a sacrificial love, but it's not enough to say simply it's sacrificial. It's also selfless. Right? Because we have to, if it's just sacrificial, well, who or what is being sacrificed? Jesus' death was self-sacrificial. It wasn't us on the cross. It was Christ in our place on the cross. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus died for his people, laid down his life for his people. And Paul's saying that's the example here of the type of love that we're to love with, and in particular, especially love our wives with. When we examine Jesus' love for the church, we see he not only made the church his, he was willing to die to do so. He didn't merely take the church. He died in her place. Paul is saying this sort of willingness to sacrally give up is what must characterize our love. It's countercultural, as I mentioned earlier. In a day when women were treated second class, they were not much different than slaves. Paul says, love them like Jesus loves the church. Be willing to put them in front of yourself and be willing to die for them. Be willing to lay down your life for them. Be willing to lay down your preferences for them. Be willing to sacrifice. It's going to cost you to love well. Paul has already called us to sacrificial love earlier in the chapter. Let me read that to you. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So Paul, as he transitions to kind of more, as he gets more and more practical in Ephesians, 
that's rooted in so much deep theology, the first three chapters. He says, listen, I want you to be an imitator of God. You need, to, you, need to, you need to treat people as God treats people in that sense and love them that way. He says, as beloved children, as God's children, you need to imitate Him. In verse 2, he says, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is the standard, in a sense, for how we're to love all believers, but it's in particularly applied to our spouses. Christians are to seek to imitate God and how we love others. We're to walk in love, and we don't get to define what that looks like. It's been defined for us as Christ loved His people, as Christ loved you, as Christ loves me, as He loves us. This is the kind of love that pleases God. This is how Christ loved in a way that was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God as He laid down His life for us. It's the kind of love that is a form of worship. Men, when we are loving our wives as Christ loved the church, loving herself sacrificially, it is an expression of our worship of, our devotion to, our prizing of, our submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not in eye service. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than her. It's, it's, a, it's a way we live out our faith. This is a love that doesn't use people. If you're using someone, then they are the one. They are the one always having to give. They are the one you're always taking from. It's literally the reverse. Jesus doesn't use the church. Jesus doesn't manipulate the church. The church isn't afraid of Jesus. The church gladly follows Jesus because it is obvious that Jesus cares deeply about us. The opposite of self-sacrificing love, though, is a self-serving using of people. Neglecting, bullish, unforgiving, lazy, isolated, unengaged, passive. That's not how Christ loves us. That's not how we're called to love others or to love our spouse. Practically speaking, this kind of love is willing to, to be hurt in order to bless. It's willing to endure. It's willing to give. It's willing to go the extra mile. When I love my wife well, I will care deeply about her preferences. I will listen to her concerns. I will be willing to change my behavior to better bless her. That's what this is saying. This love does not keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't seek applause. It just, it just loves. It just, it just gives. And it will cost us. You can't always win when you love like this. You can't love self-sacrificially and never sacrifice anything. Your time, your preferences, your energy. If there's, there's, there's no sacrificing, it's not Christ-like. If self is always on the throne, there will be no sacrifice. That's ultimately what it's going to cost us. We're going to have to die to ourselves to love this way, which is what it means to follow Christ anyway. The only way that happens is when we first realize how loved we are. When we realize how unworthy we are, that we didn't earn Christ's love, and that we didn't deserve Christ's love, and that He chose to love us and die for us when we were filled with sin and guilt and shame, then we can begin to love we have to be changed by the love of Christ before we can love like Christ. Bottom line. It is impossible. It is impossible to love to the degree that you could, to reach your full potential in that, to love like Christ apart from being changed by His love. The reason more of us don't love this way, the reason we struggle with this, the reason, guys, that we fail in this area is selfish pride. Because our own self is still what we battle it's sometimes we allow it to sort of take the throne in our life. And if self is on the throne of our heart, when we look to the, it, it, that, that has to change. When we look to the risen Christ in faith, He begins to occupy the throne of our heart. 
We begin to die to self and we, as we behold Christ and we look to Him in faith and our self is crucified and we follow Christ. When Christ is on the throne of our heart, then we begin to love like Christ. Because the, the one we submit to and bow to and adore begins to empower us and change us. Because when Christ is submitted to, He's on the throne of my heart. He's the one I'm beholding. He's the one I'm worshiping. He's ruling and reigning and He will begin to institute change in my heart as He rules over my heart. And that's the kind of love that we're called to love with. The kind of love that's willing to die to self and to love sacrificially another. That should cope all of our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ to some degree. But in particular, there is a special and unique love that is to be poured out for our bride in that way. It will cost us. Number two, it will add to her. It is a love that prioritizes her well-being. In verse 26, he says that he died in this way that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. To what end did Jesus love the church? Jesus' love for the church ultimately blesses the church. It's good for the church. The church is better for it. The church benefits from it. It adds to the church. In fact, it, it makes the church the church. First notice, Jesus' love for the church sanctifies the church. And we prioritize our wife's well-being. We add to her, we bless her when we seek her holiness. Now let me explain something. Jesus sanctifies the church like this. It says he washes and cleanses us by the washing of water with the word. Right? That is, that's our conversion, right? When we come to know Christ. And he continued sanctification as we pursue Christ and become more like Christ. Sanctification, pursuing Christ's likeness, growing in Christ is what that means. And as Harold Hoyner points out, it also paints imagery here of the bridal bath that was practiced in the first century in Paul's day. The imagery used. A Jewish bride, and in those days many Greeks did this as well, but in particular a Jewish bride would take a bath before the wedding ceremony pointing to Ezekiel 16 in its imagery. God's marriage to his people Israel in the Old Testament. And when God took Israel, she was in horrible shape. Full of sin and shame. And God brought her in and loved her and made her lovely. He didn't love Israel because she was lovely. His love made her lovely. He doesn't love the church because we are lovely. His love makes us lovely. Jesus did this with the church. We weren't lovely. He makes us lovely. We were in sin and ruin. He washes us and makes us clean. Now let me be clear. You cannot sanctify your wife with your love. You cannot purify your wife with your love. You can't sanctify someone. Only Christ can do that. To sanctify means to make holy. We can't remove spot or wrinkle or sin. We can't make our wives holy. Only Jesus can do that. But there are things that we can learn about loving our wives from this very verse. And that is that we should seek her holiness. We should seek her godliness and her spiritual growth. We didn't marry perfect people. None of us did. Husbands or wives. And those that aren't married, you won't marry a perfect person. We marry sinners. And hopefully we marry sinners who have been changed and are being changed by Christ, but we marry sinners. And if Jesus can love us, we can, we can love our wives. We can love our husbands. Your love is not to be contingent on the other person's godliness. No more than Jesus' love for you is contingent on yours. The early church leader, Chrysostom, wrote about this. He said, Whatsoever kind of wife thou shalt take, 
Yet shalt thou never take such a bride as the church. When Christ took her, nor one so far removed from thee as the church was from Christ. And yet, for all that, he did not abhor her, nor loathe her for her surpassing deformity. The early church father is saying this. He's a man, no matter what your spouse is like, even if they're doing things you wish they weren't doing, they, they're not pursuing Christ and they're, they're pursuing something they should be, they're not, they're not as in bad a shape as we were when Christ took us. But we, we can't change people. But we are to love and to seek and to pray for, right, the godliness, the purity, the holiness of our spouse, particularly husbands, wives. We should want and desire and seek and foster in an environment where our wives can flourish spiritually. And we can't foster that kind of environment for holiness if we aren't personally pursuing it ourselves. We just can't. We've got to be actively involved in the life of the church. Pursuing Christ's likeness in community. Because you can't pursue Christ's likeness on your own. You cannot do it. You're not wired that way. God didn't make it that way. God didn't make it to function that way. That's why the New Testament is largely written to churches. Because Christ is meant to be pursued in community. You say, well, I'm pursuing Christ on my own apart from community. I just happen to be here today or whatever. This is just something I do from time to time. Then you're, I love you. I don't mean to offend you, but you're not pursuing Christ the way he's meant to be pursued. He is meant to be pursued, yes, personally, but also corporately and in community. And you'll never flourish spiritually apart from community. And in the same way, if we want our spouses, our wives, to flourish spiritually, that begins with creating an environment in the home where that can happen, and that begins with us personally pursuing it. And part of that is we are actively involved in the life of God's people. We are actively engaged in God's Word. We actively have a prayer line. See, if, if you want to foster this kind of environment, you've got to have it in your own life. We need to seek to be the kind of people our wives can come to with spiritual questions about the Bible. You say, now wait a second. Pastor, it's easy for you to say you ain't got a degree in all this. And there's still a whole lot I don't know. And things I say I don't know too all the time. My wife can tell you. There are times she has a question. And I'll say, I don't know. Uh, here's a link to a study Bible. Right? I, you know, I've literally, I've literally text messaged her, I believe, uh, study notes out of a resource book. I didn't really know the answer to the question. So we're not going to have all the answers to the questions. It's okay to say I don't know. But it's not okay to be a Christian, and to be the kind of person that's not even pursuing to be able to lead that way in our home whatsoever. It's not okay to be unengaged spiritually. It's not okay to con be content with kind of go, my wife leads in that area, and I don't know. You will be held accountable. Whether you choose to lead or not, we're the point men. We have to lead. We must set the pace spiritually in the home. And if you are godly, your wife's godliness will be a big deal to you. If you're pursuing holiness, her holiness will be a big deal to you. If your wife is in sin, it will bother you. Not because you're condemning or overly critical of her, but because you love her and desire her purity and holiness before God. So it will just be a big deal to you. Discussing spiritual issues, talking about the Bible and praying and teaching your children God's word, habitually attending church together. These disciplines shouldn't be far into our home if we seek to love our wife as Christ loves the church. We should be seeking to instill these disciplines. If you're not married yet, men, guys, being a husband is easy. Being a godly husband is not. It's a whole other thing. You're a husband the moment you say, I do. That doesn't mean we'll be godly husbands. We have, we, so I encourage you to start now to seek to be the kind of man who can spiritually lead a family. Start desiring your wife's holiness 
now. That starts with seeking the purity of those you date. That starts with prioritizing that you will only date and marry a growing Christian. Those things are important. Ladies who are not married yet, guys who are pursuing you but are not pursuing Jesus aren't husband material for the daughters of God. They might be super great guys. But they're not material for you to marry if you're God's daughter. I don't care how much money he makes. I don't care how good looking he may be or how moral he may be. He might be a swell of a guy. <coughs> if he doesn't love Jesus more than he loves you or anything else, he's not husband material for one of God's daughters. You say, what if I'm married to someone who doesn't love Jesus now? That's a totally different situation. <coughs> not even speaking to you about that. Because I'm speaking to a totally different group of people. In that situation, love. Serve your husband in a way, as we talked about, we talked about submitting to one another a few weeks ago and about the attitudes we take towards one another and how we seek to bless one another and pray for their conversion. And thank God for common grace in the sense of that there, there can be a relationship there and there can be love there, even though, even though what you really want to see happen in their life has to happen by the Holy Spirit doing something in their heart and changing them. Be thankful that God can do that. Pray and seek God in that. And be encouraged that God is still in the saving business. But if you're not married yet, seek a growing believer or a spouse so that you can seek and pursue their holiness and so they'll seek and pursue yours. But it's not only about that. He goes on to say in verses 28, 29, and 30, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So we should seek to nourish and cherish our brides. He says husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Pastor Tim Keller notes how this speaks to the fundamental nature of the relationship of marriage. For instance, he illustrates this by showing by showing how if someone decides making a lot of money will make them happy and they pursue that at all costs, but in the process they neglect the health of their body due to a lack of sleep and not eating right, things of that nature, that in the end they won't be happy at all because their health has to come first and because their health fails, their, what they've done to pursue the money may fail and they might lose, and it's a chain reaction, right? The body demands primary attention. In the same way, Keller notes that marriage, the relationship, demands primary focus. It can't just be another relationship or an add-on to our lives. It must take priority over all other relationships other than that between you and the Lord. It's inherent in the DNA of marriage. It's the way it's wired. I'll go further. This is how husbands are to love their wives. Fundamentally, just like taking care of your body. Her well-being must be primary for us. Just as if we don't take care of our body, it costs us in multiple areas later. If we don't tend to caring for our wives, it will cost us in multiple areas. It's got to be primary not secondary. We can excel at work or have great kids or have a big house or nice cars and take great trips and you can have great friends, but if the relationship with your wife goes bad, it's like a decay, like decaying health. Everything else begins to suffer at some point. She must be primary. It demands it. You are to love her as you love your own body. Common sense tells us that people tend to take care of their own bodies, right? Other than the unusual extreme situations. If you get sick, you go to the doctor. If you're hungry, you eat. Sometimes we eat and we're not hungry. Okay? It's another issue, another sermon. But if you need rest, you rest. If you need to unwind, you unwind. You treat yourself. You take care of yourself, right? If we do not take care of our bodies, it begins to show up at some point. 
We won't, don't point. We won't talk about it like that. But it will show up at some point if we don't take care of ourselves, right? We neglect our health. Things begin to happen. What if our bodies reflected physically what we put into our marriages? What if every time you treated your wife like an object, tooth decay set in, right? What if every time you neglected her needs, you lost some hair? For some of us, it wouldn't make much difference, right? You get the picture. It doesn't work that way. But it does in this sense. The relational decay happens whether we know it or not. And it does show up in the relationship. It will manifest itself. Just as we serve our own bodies, we are to serve our wives. Your love for her should not serve your needs but hers. He gives two very specific ways for that to happen. He says you nourish and cherish her. Nourish is the idea of giving her what she needs. Is what it means. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it means you provide for her, assuming you're physically and mentally able. It means you talk to her, that you date her, that you listen to her. When she needs a shoulder to cry on, you're there, right? She needs someone to make her laugh, you're there. Someone to empty out to, you're there. It means that you lead the home spiritually. It means all those things. It requires physical, emotional, and spiritual nourishing. And then he says you are to cherish her. That means literally to warm and foster with tender care. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with Foster with tender care, not harshness and brutality. 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter says it this way. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Weaker there doesn't mean like less than you. It means you're prizing them, more like you're you're treating them with delicacy because you love them, and not because they're fragile people as much as because you, you prize them in that way, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are also other connotations in there in the sense that we know not always, but men are generally bigger and stronger and things of that nature. It's the DNA aspects of things. All that kind of combined, the idea here is though we, we seek to honor, seek to honor our wives. We're called to seek to honor all those to whom honor is due. How much more should we do that for our wives? So Peter says, hey, husband, you're physically stronger than her, but that's not an excuse to rule by intimidation over her. Instead, you honor her. Remember, Christ is our example And the church, his body, does not go neglected. She does not go uncared for. She does not get bullied. She does not get intimidated. She is wooed and she is loved and she is cherished and she is nurtured. When you cherish something, you prioritize it. You prize it, right? It becomes very important to you. You you, you go to great detail and great lengths to to see that it is is taken care of. When I was in high school, I know everybody had those friends in high school that had a car that was just way too nice for high school. Right, so I had my little pickup truck, and he had his anniversary edition Chevrolet Camaro, right? He just loved it. And every week it got detailed and all that, you know, and he had the awesome sound system in it, and it was always manicured very well. He loved that. That is a picture. When I think of what does it look like to cherish something, I think about my buddy in his car in high school because he took great care for that thing. We all, have some, we all know what it means to cherish something. Right? Whether it's a job or a hobby or a car or a boat or, or whatever it may be or our children. We know what it means. The question is what we choose to cherish. The big idea is that we are to prioritize, we are to cherish our wife's well-being. Because we cherish her. So we seek her spiritual health, her emotional health, her physical health. We provide for her needs. We listen to her needs. We lead her. We pray for her. We talk to her. We engage with her. Now let me point something out. It says, like uh, you love, no one doesn't take care of their own body. Like you love your own body, you are to love her. Now think about this. 
He uses that illustration. He uses the illustration of Christ in the church. He uses the illustration of your own body. Your body changes. It changes. With age, with different seasons, things like that. We grow old, we lose our hair, we gain or we lose weight, we grow more feeble. We, our bodies change, but we don't stop taking care of our bodies, or we should as much as we can. Part of this nourishing and cherishing means you do so through all the seasons of life, even as your spouse changes, and your spouse will change. She's not a robot. You can't reboot her, reprogram her, download some new software. There's not a bug you can work out, right? She is a human being, and she is changing. Are you the same person today that you were 10 years ago? Are you the same person today that you were some of you 50 years ago? Are you... Many of us could say we're not the same person we were five years ago or two years ago. We're changing. We're, we're always changing. And hopefully, we're on a trajectory where we're changing to become more like Christ. But there are all kinds of things that come into play. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. All these changes that take place. And just as you continue to take care of your body, even if your foot hurts, what do you do? You give extra attention to the foot. You don't go, oh, my foot hurts, so I just act like I don't have a foot anymore. No, you give extra attention to the foot. You go to the doctor and say, my foot hurts. Something's wrong with my foot. How do I care for my foot? When we love our spouse well, we love them through every season. That's why we say for better or for worse, right? Even the difficult seasons, the hard seasons, and failing health, and all those sort of things, and different emotional changes, and all the different things that happen, we continue to love, we continue to nourish, we continue to cherish, because it is certain that we're all going to change. One of the things so powerful about marriage is that you get to see someone and love someone through all sorts of life experiences and changes and seasons. And just as Christ loves us through all sorts of experiences, all sorts of life change, and all sorts of ups and downs and difficulties, Jesus is always there seeking our well-being. It's never in question. As we change in life, we constantly tend to our bodies. And in the same way, in all of this change, we should love and care for our spouses. It's not simply about them or us. It's way bigger than way bigger than that. This is all bigger than that. It's about Jesus and His church, and it's a great witness to the world that we get to bear as we love and we care for our God. As we paint a picture of how Jesus loves His people. Let me say it again. We can't pursue this kind of love without first knowing this kind of love. You say, this just sounds, I mean, it, it, oh, it's kind of overwhelming. It is overwhelming because you can't do it. In our own power, we can't do it. Uh, we, we, need, we need to be experience the love of Christ and then we have to constantly be coming back to and reminding ourselves of that love and seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is where this, passion, this, this passage begins in Ephesians 5. So that by the power of Christ in us, by the power of His Spirit working in us, we can love like that. Where it becomes more than just affection. More than just, I like her a lot and I love her just in a merely earthly sense, but I can love her like Christ left the church because Christ is loving her through me. As He lives His life through me. It's living out the Christian life. The nature of how we love well is rooted in Christ's love for His people. And we can't love like that without knowing and experiencing His love for ourselves. In your sin, in your spiritual death, in your being far from God, you are loved. You are loved. Jesus loved you when yet a stranger. When yet a stranger. When our hearts were wandering far from Him, right? Just as we sang about it. He loved us in that. 
And loving well begins with knowing that love. A love that says, even though we were sinners, even though we were far from God, even though we were broken, even though we were rebels, even though we had nothing to offer or anything that we deserved good from God because we were all have fallen, sinned and fallen short of His glory. That Christ loved us. To the point that He came and He died in our place on the cross. Bearing the guilt, the same sin that we deserve. Bearing the very wrath of God. Being punished in our place so that you and I can can be set free, can be forgiven, can be changed. Rising from the dead in victory and sharing that resurrection with us by giving us new life and promising us a resurrection. When we unite with Him through faith. Have you experienced that love? Have you personally trusted Christ? Have you crossed the line of faith so that He can begin to change and mold your heart? We can't love like this until we've experienced that love through faith in Christ, through belief in the gospel of Christ. Believer, are we seeking to love others as Christ loved us? In particular, husbands, are you seeking to love your wife this way? How might you love your spouse better? If we got honest this morning, is there neglect that we can confess to the Lord this morning? Sure, none of us are a 10 on this. But all of us in Christ should be pursuing growth in this area. The better we know and apply the gospel, the more we can grow in loving our wives. And let's pray God helps us love in a way that is selfless and sacrificial, but also in a way that prioritizes her well-being. Let's be willing to let it cost us something so that we might add to her, so that we might bless her, so that we might encourage her, so that she might flourish in our leadership. But let's also seek to love all people this way, church. In the sense of let's seek to love people self-sacrificially with an agape love that's not rooted in their performance or anything like that. We love them because Christ loved us and gave himself for us as imitators of God. So we seek to love our neighbor. We seek to love our enemy. Love is the defining ethic of the church. The one way Jesus said that they will know that you're my people is by your love for one another. Not by how big the crowd is. Not by how tense the ministry focus is. Not by how much money is raised. Not by how many people get baptized. Y'all know you're my people by your love for one another. Love is our love. Let's pray.